Welcome everyone to the Holstein House podcast. I'm the West Virginia woman, Robin of RobinHolstein.com and Holstein House, where my guests get a great night's sleep at a fair rate plus breakfast. This is a podcast that looks at society and culture issues affecting families in West Virginia and the United States, from food preparation and storage, gardening, home repairs, current events, and more. We'll go around the table and back in 60 minutes or less. So let's hang out and talk a while. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Holstein House broadcast. Today, I have had Mr. J.V. Hilliard, epic and dark fantasy author of the Warminster series. Uh, his biograph goes uh, Born of Steel and Fire and Black Wind. J.V. Hilliard was raised as a Highlander in the foothills of a once great mountain chain on the confluence of the three mighty rivers that forged his realm's wealth and power for generations. Hilliard's training and education uh, readied him to lift a quill that would scribe the tale of the realm of Warminster. Filled with brave knights, harrowing adventures, and legendary struggles, he lives in the city of Silver Cups, Hypocloids, I may have may not have pronounced that right, and golden triangles with his wife and ranger of the diamond. They built their castle not far into the countryside, guarded by his own two horse hounds, Thor and MacLeod, and resides there to this day. I, may I call you Joe? Yes, you may. I, if you call me JV, I'm not going to turn around to you anyway, but if you call me Joe, I'll listen. <laughs> Well, JV's what you've got on on all of the things there. So um, we fantasy adventure authors have a tendency to do that. So my my yeah. publisher uh, asked me if I wanted, you know, J.R.R. Tolkien, J.K. Rowling's yes. R.A. Salvatore, yeah. George R.R. Martin. So, you know, Joe's a pretty common name, but JV isn't. So they used my initials and I said, fine. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. So this is uh, honestly, as we were talking before, this this uh, bio is 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 really kind of a mouthful how in the world did you come up with with this for your biography well it, it, there's a two-part answer to this the first is everybody's bio is the same this is where i went to school this is who i'm married to this is what my kids do this is where i mm -hmm. live and how i write right and i was challenged once by a, a radio show host who wanted to anybody that wanted to get onto the show had to prove their value by sending something in the creative that would catch their attention. Um, and so I decided in the 2000 words that I had available to me or whatever it was to, to cast myself as a character within the realm of Warminster. Um, so, and Warminster for those that read fantasy adventure is my realm. It's kind of like Tolkien's middle earth or Martin's, uh, you know, uh, Westeros or Shannara for Terry Brooks. Um, just it's the realm of Warminster, right? So I cast myself mm -hmm. as the chronicler of the realm. And what I did was I masked my true bio behind things that read sort of like a fantasy novel. So when I said, you know, the three rivers, that clearly meant Pittsburgh. Or uh, when I said that, um, you know, that I w was in the mountains, that's the Appalachian Mountains. And mm -hmm. uh, the hypocycloids, if you're a Steeler fan, those are the diamonds, the funky looking diamonds that are on there. Is that what those are? They're called hypercycloids. I like the Steelers, so, but I'm not obviously enough of a fan. To know yeah. <laughs> so I, I threw that out because if you know what a hypocycloid 
Cyclo it is, or if you Google it, you'll see it. And you'll be like, oh, that looks like the Steelers symbol. He must be in Pittsburgh. And the Silver Cups is for the Pittsburgh Penguins. They've won five of them. And, you know, and, you know, I just, and my, my wife is a former ranger of the diamond, which is someone who roves the baseball diamond, you know. See, so, I was thinking jewelry. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, no, she's, she's, a, she's an athlete. So, you know, I, uh, I kind of, I, I cast her as part of that. And my dogs obviously are my horse hounds. So, um, McLeod and Thor, I've got a Siberian Husky and I've got a, a red Fox lab retriever that, uh, uh, you know, they're best buds. I bet. I bet. And then being up there this time of the year because as as we record this it's january 2024 <laughs> it's we just had some snow i'm sure there's there are cuddle buddies too yeah well stay warm the, in this they sit outside all day long and you know the, well, the, the lab husky, will go yeah. out yeah he'll go outside and they just love playing in the snow so for yeah. so for for us it makes it a lot easier uh that that uh when the snow comes they're outside having fun and it's all good <laughs> Well, um, I, I promised you some time. I do want you to talk a little bit about uh, your your. Um, are, are you calling it a trilogy? I... It's it's a quadrilogy. It's actually a four book oh, series. Uh, the, the series comes out in uh, February or March of this year, uh, twenty twenty four, and it'll wind up the Warminster saga, at okay. least part one of it. You know, and that four book series uh, is poised to launch yet another. Uh, trilogy beyond that sort of as a follow-up to some of the characters who you know, make it through the first four novels and what happens to their story down the road. And then in the interim, while I'm writing the, the second trilogy, I have, you know, especially for here for 2024, I have two or three books planned uh, to release um, that are origin stories of some of my more popular characters. Uh, and so they're going to be more, more novella size, a little bit less epic fantasy and more classic fantasy. Uh, where you're learning the background and the stories of some of your favorite characters or those characters that you love to hate. Well, give me uh, a little bit about like the inside flap of each of each of the books to share with yeah. everybody so that we yeah. the, so that these because my my listeners and the folks that are going to watch the videos possibly will be uh, familiar with, but aren't generally in the uh, science fiction fantasy uh, area. Yeah, so it's really simple, and, and and many folks will identify the genre as Dungeons and Dragons or Dragonlance or mm -hmm. The Witcher uh, or the Tolkien stuff from Middle Earth. If you like Lord of the Rings or or Game of Thrones or The Hobbit, that's the genre in which this is written. Now, epic fantasy denotes that it's it's really something that has a future, a past, and a present, mm -hmm. and as an author of epic fantasy novels. You have to create that kind of history so that people understand that something that's going on in the present was affected by something that happened in the past with the hope for a future. Yeah. Uh, and you see that a lot in Star Wars, right? Like, you know, and that's, yeah. Yeah. you know, that's a, a space opera, uh, but mm -hmm. it's not much different where you've, you've got a, a nine or a 10 installment series with spinoffs from that. And the, the goal there is to do the same thing. It's like, hey, you know, we, we pick up where Luke starts and Luke doesn't know what, what's going on. But if you look backward, there is the the the, the Clone Wars and, mm -hmm. you know, Darth Vader used to be Anakin Skywalker and that's mm -hmm. the father and all that kind of stuff. And then forward looking. And so the same thing happens in my genre. Now, the difference with my books and what you would typically find in classical fantasy is that I put a 
a, a little bit of a spin to them. They're, they're a little darker. They're a little bit more gothic. They're kind of like maybe Tolkien meets Dracula a little bit without the vampires, oh. you know, but it's, it's that kind of like darkness where the good guys don't always win. Mm -hmm. uh, and so maybe it's a little bit more like a Game of Thrones uh, where some of your favorite characters don't survive because that's what happens in real life. So there's a, there's a, there's a element of realism that goes into a gigantic fantastical story. Uh, and I think that allows people to suspend disbelief and, and frankly, hopefully like the characters more. Well, it, it does sound fascinating. Now you, you touched on Dracula. I, um, there was a series of books and um, that I used to love to read by Chelsea Quinn Yarbrough. Uh, on it was a vampire historical uh, fiction uh, series, and uh, I I loved those. I I still have them. I don't. They're packed away, and since one of the moves, but uh, um, that uh, that was one of one of my favorites. And then I was never much about reading any of those Star Wars, but of course I was uh, a teenager when those original movies <laughs> hit the hit the theaters, and I'm a Han shot first person I, I'm, not much on the, <laughs> I'm not much on the the remakes and updates and all that stuff and uh but uh, i can i can certainly appreciate and of course the token books um i can appreciate that uh and uh, that that type of writing it's it's not one that i've spent a lot of time in. I, I tend to i personally tend to be more nonfiction than fiction but um tell me a little bit about uh just uh your background outside of uh being an author what when when did you decide hey this is what i'm going to do and i'm going to create this uh series yeah so prior to this for about 20 years i was a defense lobbyist uh, and you want to talk about nonfiction? Uh, you know i, <laughs> yeah. I wrote nonfiction every day right yeah. so and, and so i represented and primarily a lot of technology companies that needed access to the Pentagon, to Congress, to the White House. And my, my job there was to put them in front of program managers that could either buy their product or help them develop their product. Uh, and mm -hmm. so it was a lot of government subsidies and grants and also you know, perfect, protecting the warfighter uh, or it could be things like energy or healthcare that were related to that. Um, but um, as we all experienced a few years ago, I mean, COVID happened sure. and there was a big pause. You know, Know, and DC shut down for about a year and a half. And as a result, um, a lot of my stuff became virtual. And in the beginning, there was nothing to do. And if you would ask my wife, uh, I am too much of a busybody to tolerate me in the house 24 7, 365 <laughs> during a COVID crisis. She said, just go do something. Just don't yeah. go, just go do something. So I, I tucked myself into the den. And one of the things on the bucket list was I wanted to write uh, you know, a fantasy novel. And so as a, a longtime lifelong nerd, uh, I hearken back to some of the stories I had uh, participated in as part of my Dungeons and Dragons days and, um, you know, looked at, at some of the half stories I had written while I was in college and in high school and resurrected them and turned them into what I thought was going to be a standalone one shot fiction novel. Mm -hmm. uh, and when, then when I shared that with an associate professor friend of mine who liked it, she said, look, this is good, but you, you need to learn a little bit more about pacing and you need to learn to write dialogue a little bit better. Uh, but the story's good. The bones are there. Uh, and, you know, you just need this. You need to find yourself, a, you know, an editor that can help you that edits your stuff. And, mm -hmm. and that's really where that came from. So I had all this downtime 
Uh, and what I thought was going to be just a one shot book that I got it out of my system was done, turned into the back nine of my career. Like I, you know, I fell in love with writing. There's no pressure. You know, mm -hmm. the pressure is meeting deadlines, but I was used to yeah. meeting deadlines and those deadlines were very pressure uh, oriented where this yeah. is like, mm, yeah. yeah, if I miss it by a day, are you going to, you know, if the world doesn't end. I'm not, no one's mm -hmm. dying, you know, because I lost something here. So it was, it, you know, it really turned into something that I didn't expect. And it's been a lot, lot of fun. Um, and, you know, I, you know, it's hard to make money. Uh, as an author, you're, you're not mm -hmm. everybody's Stephen King. So you, you have to look at it as you're starting your own business. Right. And yeah. you, you kind of roll out and say, look, in the beginning, I'm it's, I'm not going to make money to book three. I'm not going to make money to book four, but I'm going to get there. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you create your own following and then you can kind of transition away from what you're doing on a day-to-day -day job uh, and, and move into to a full-time authorship role. And not everybody gets there. Not everybody wants to, some people just do it as a side hustle. You know, mm -hmm. I've decided to, to, you know, really, you know, double down and, uh, and make this part of, a you know, the, the back nine of my career and, and doing that, you know, that means I get to hit the road and go to conventions and book signings and, you know, speak at different places and stuff and have a lot of fun, but it's, it's dramatically different than what I did in the first nine, the holes of my career, which was all sorts of pressure and all sorts of government and all the things that people, uh, you know, find in their day jobs. I mean, this is something that I just, I really enjoy doing and, and hope to stick with it. Now, was this your first, uh, the first book in the series, was it your first publication or? Yeah. I mean, technically your... I, I have a lot of non fiction stuff published based on, you know, copy I've written for websites or speeches I've written for folks or grants that I've written for people or, or policy pages that have become law and things like that, that I've done in my professional career. But this is the first fiction based thing that was really that I had done since I was really in high school or college. Uh, you know, when I was in high school, you know, I was a nerd, right? I was playing Dungeons and Dragons. I was watching all the mm -hmm. movies, having a good time. And, um, you know, I tried to write, but you don't know what you're doing and uh, and things like that. And it's a little hard. And thankfully, I had a I had an uncle who was um, a mentor to me. Now, unfortunately, he was paralyzed in the war. Mm -hmm. uh, and as a result, he was like a second father and there was very few things he could do. And one of them that he was, that he could do was he could write, you know, so mm -hmm. the, the VA fashioned for him a, an implement that allowed him to work on an old fashioned typewriter with a pencil basically and mm -hmm. typing his stuff. And he wrote pulp fiction and short stories mm -hmm. that were published in old school, hard copy magazines. Mm -hmm. uh, and a lot of it was horror dystopian fantasy kind of stuff. Uh, and I just fell in love with that. And if he was going to do it, I was going to do it. So I wanted to be a writer and I found out I was pretty good at it. But, you know, when you have a chance to, you know, go to college and you want to chase something down, I mean, authorship is a tough way to go. Uh, there's not a lot of money in it and there's a chance that you're not going to make it. Right. Um, and But for me, you know, I always knew I'd return to it. It was always a first love, but it was always something that I had to kind of get out of the way. I had, I had to live my career first, get that out of the way and then return to this as sort of a a job that I could eventually retire into. And that's what I'm hoping to build over the next 25 years. Oh, it sounds, sounds like you've got to definitely have a plan down for that. We kind of touched a little bit before we started recording that I, I don't have the discipline for it. And it, it sounds to me like you, <laughs> you very much do. So um, did you, did you, now you did mention that um, with the, the epic fiction that you need a, a, a beginning, middle and end, but did you plan it in mo in your mind? Did you have uh, planned uh, the multiple 
um, volumes that that you would have a, a fourth book in this in the series? Or yeah, did you so, did you did you think okay one maybe two I'll get out of this and then oh wait I still have another one in here somewhere. Well, it, it was it's funny because I had just planned it as a standalone and I was going to write a book and say I had done it. And then when it got published, my publisher encouraged me and rightfully so. And I didn't notice this being outside the industry. But once she mentioned it, I noticed it a lot, uh, almost to the point where you couldn't not notice it, uh, which is in my genre, almost all writing, almost all is done with in series because you spend mm -hmm. so much time in fantasy or sci-fi building a world that your fans don't want to leave it they want to live mm -hmm. in it right and so you see everybody writes three or six or nine or 12 novels some of them 40 novels mm -hmm. uh you know in the realm that they've created uh because it takes so much time to to do that and so a standalone doesn't work in fantasy adventure it rarely works so like even if you you know look at some of the young adult stuff with harry potter i mean harry potter it's a seven book series, right? And and even though you could have lived with the first one, you know, at the end of the day, it was better because it was a series. So mm -hmm. in order for me to, to become published, she said, I'll do this, but it has to be a trilogy. And then based on the success of the first book and the second book, um, that we turned that that third book in the trilogy into two books. And, and so okay. my plan was not it was to have a standalone that became a trilogy then it became a quadrilogy so you know I, it was never the plan but we we made it work and um you know it's just it's a matter of you know just being a little bit di uh disciplined uh in in sure. going back and, and and addressing things and thankfully you know i'm a big planner so for me like i i have a hard time there are folks out there stephen king's the most popular among them they're called pantsers where they can write by the seat of their pants right and they just start to write and you know and they see where it goes and and those my life is tennis. seat of the pants I'll right yeah so like the pantsers in my in my realm have a tendency to burn out or like mm -hmm. they have a good idea and they're halfway through the story and they don't know how it ends and they get writer's block or the ending yeah. isn't what it's supposed to be planners or plotters like me uh, can't write. Like if you said, here's three words, go and write and come back in half an hour. I'm stuck. I, I have to, I have to know where I'm going. Uh, and I, I have to have a direction for me to be an effective writer. I just don't sit down and start writing. It doesn't ever mm -hmm. happen. So for me, I planned out what I thought was going to be a 600 and something page epic fantasy novel one. Uh, and then, you know, all of a sudden it was like, well, wait a minute, this is, this is three and then four. So let's break this up. Uh, and because I had planned it, it was easy for me to go back and say, okay, well, I can add this scene. I can add this story arc. I can add this plot arc that I wouldn't have had, or this character arc that I can now develop farther than I would have uh, because I have more time to do it. And I think that's really where people have, you know, fallen in love with the series. Um, it's because there's a lot of detail in there and it, you can get, you can get into the eyes of the characters. And I do multi-point of view books, which uh, is, popular in my genre, not popular in all. Usually you got a mm -hmm. single view um, where you have that character and that main character. We're here, you're following four main characters, one of which is the villain, and mm -hmm. then a handful of, of lesser characters that's better to see through their eyes at certain points than it is through others, because it gives the reader insight somewhere. And, and some people like that, some people don't, but it's popular in my genre uh, mm -hmm. to have that. So that's um, that's why I, I, I write that way. Well, and then I wanted to ask now you've you've mentioned several times uh, Dungeons and Dragons and stuff. 
now the the focus on the Nordic and Viking myths and legends is that because of your fondness for the Dungeons and Dragons and type, those type of things, or is there a little something related to your ancestry that caused you to want to, you know, choose those? Well, it's a bit of both, right? So when you create your own world. Um, you want to take stuff that is familiar to people because mm -hmm. it can't just be something that you've made up. Like they, there has to be, it has to be based in some level of reality. So mm -hmm. what I've done is I went around the world and found popular myths that were exciting that people enjoyed, uh, but also found twists in them that maybe people didn't see coming or didn't know about that story. Cause everybody knows about Thor and Loki, but sure. they don't know about the Antler man and the antler man didn't exist in Nordic mythology that was called the master of the hunt and so what I did was I took the master of the hunt twisted it into you know basically an evil version of itself and made it one of the one of the villains in the, in the novel or uh, I have a Native American uh, myth that um, was called skinwalkers uh, and these were kind of yeah. ghost-like creatures uh, that Native Americans believed in but you know I turned mine into a skin stealer which which was more like a doppelganger, this shapeshifter, which is popular, whether you like the werewolf stuff or the vampire stuff, anybody that's going to, you know, shapeshift. This is a way for me to do it, but have my own personal spin to it. So it, it um, aligns well with the unique nature of my realm. And so I was able to borrow some of that stuff. But, you know, Viking and Nordic cultures are very popular. A lot of TV shows drive in that direction, as is, you know, you know, cowboys as are vampires and things like that. And I just chose a couple of things that people were familiar with to embed them in there. And Viking culture, especially when you're talking about an adoptive, you know, mid, like uh, middle uh, ages, you know, medieval kind of culture really fits nicely into the kind of stuff we're doing um, with the realm. So, you know, for me, it was just one of of many cultures that appear within the realm of Warminster, but one that's really important to the first three, first four novels as it sets the stage for some of the gods that I've created that are likened to a Valhalla or some of the other gods mm -hmm. I've created that are gods of war and things like that. And that goes back Greek, Roman, you name it, everybody's had them. Uh, and, you know, that way I was borrowing from something that's real so people can feel that familiarity and then just made it something that was my own. And they're like, oh, I get this is cool. It fits. And, and that's where some of those ideas came from. And I've done that with religion throughout. I've done that with the currency throughout, uh, you know, and, and stuff like that. It's 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 strange to say it that way. But like, you know, when you're watching Star Wars or Star Trek, what do they use for the currency? Credits. Well, what's a credit? Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. But if I have a, something else, like in, in my realm, I just called it something different. So instead of a gold piece or give me gold, I was asking them for a golden palmet or a silver laurel or a copper sheaf. And those were names that were familiar enough to those that are coin collectors that they get it. They're like, oh, that's cool. But I wasn't using the standard credit that comes mm -hmm. with sci-fi or the standard gold old piece that comes with you know Dungeons and Dragons or Tolkien-esque kind of stuff it's 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 something that adds its own sort of sort of twist to it I think uh readers like that kind of stuff so you you said that you're a plotter um as a as opposed to a seat of the pantser or a pantser I think you said um Sorry. have you where do you see um publishing and I guess let, let me ask it this way. AI is the elephant in the room for a lot of things. 
do you see and have you looked into uh, the potential for AI to make um, significant changes in the way just average people uh, write and publish? Well, it already has, right? So, you know, the publishing industry is archaic in many respects. Um, and for 100 or 200 years, it was run the same way. Uh, and then Amazon came in and disrupted that marketplace by allowing folks to self-publish. Now, yes. some self-publishers don't have the discipline to find an editor and beta readers and really put something together that's quality. Sometimes it's just they're out there and they don't care if they sell 50 copies or 500 copies. They're there because that's, it's an art form for them or it's, a, mm -hmm. it's an outlet, it's a hobby uh, for them. And it might not be the cleanest product. And so where a traditional public house would never look at that. That's not what they're looking for because they want to sell tens of thousands, if not millions of books. That's mm -hmm. how they make their money. So they double down on authors that are going to, that, that they're, they're going to sell them books, right? That's how they, they, they make their, their, their dollars. When Amazon came into the marketplace, now all of a sudden you see so many books bought on Amazon. Many of them are by successful independent authors that do that. Now, in my case, I found sort of a nice Goldilocks between the two. I found a small niche publisher in Dragon Moon Press. And just, I'm sure you can tell by the name what they publish, they publish my kind of stuff. Uh, but it was small enough that I I have a lot of control over my product, the not just the publication of it, but the publicity of it, as mm -hmm. well as you know the direction I'm taking it as opposed to being dictated, this is what you're gonna write, we're gonna buy your story and then we're gonna run it and put it in all these bookstores. Now that happens as part of what I'm doing, but Amazon really changed that marketplace for lots of people. And I think for the better AI, on the other hand is, you know, that, that sword cuts both ways, right? So you've got a tool that can help you, uh, especially if you're a first time author or you need to do something quickly. And I'll get back to that in a second, or you're a plagiarist, right? You know, you yeah. basically have gone out and had this thing scrape through other people's work. Mm -hmm. to put things together that you've that you've stolen from them that might be unrecognizable uh, because you're now adding it to your own plot in some way. But now they have AI devices that can detect AI writing. It goes back and it sort of like unwinds it and reverse engineers it and finds out where you've where the first AI stole it from. Because let's keep in mind, AI is not it doesn't know what it's writing. It's just as finding similar things that you say you want it to write and pulling these things together and then you're smoothing mm -hmm. it out. Mm -hmm. And so in many respects, authors and artists look at AI as cheating, right? It's, it's a form of plagiarism and, and, and theft. And so, you know, most stay away from it. However, the real value to it comes in in research. Uh, and then also in our day and age, um, there's something called rapid release, which um, people that read today don't have the tolerance to wait forever. This is a generation of, you know, elder millennials back to gen alphas that everything is is on demand, right? They can go on and Netflix and binge watch something. Our phones, any mm -hmm. information I get, there's no discipline. I just Google it and I have the answer to it. I didn't right. have to go to a library and look at it. I mean, there was there's no patience for it. And so when you find something that you want to watch or read, uh, you want it right now. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's forced a lot of, of publishers and authors to write faster, which means in some cases they need the assistance of an AI to write the bulk of it. And then they go in and, like I said before, smooth it out and make sure it, it comports to what the storylines are. And so there's it's a blessing and a curse. Mm -hmm. um, the curse is you're really stealing from something else. And you could even go in like I have uh, R.A. Salvatore. Uh, uh, 
he and I had a conversation about a year ago, maybe eight months ago, where he said that he used it and said, write me a story in the language that R.A. Salvatore would write it just to see what would come back. Right. And it was basically stealing his own stuff. And, and the, the AI was able to do that for him, which I thought was pretty interesting concept just to kind of test it and, and use it. But, mm -hmm. you know, fans don't want to wait around for the next release in you know, three months or six months, they want something right away. So you're publishing something every month and sometimes quality hurts um, and quantity wins uh, as a result of that. And so it's a tool and like many tools, it can be used both ways for good and evil. In this case, I, I think it's gonna, it's just gonna get better and it's not gonna go anywhere. People are gonna use it and they are using it right now to follow along that rapid release because that's what people want. Yeah. And if, as a, that's the worst thing that can happen to you as an author, you don't follow up with something and mm -hmm. then people lose interest in you because they wanted yeah. more. And I find that out on the road. Like in all honesty, when you're at a, at a convention and you have a book, people won't buy it. They'll say, oh, that's interesting, but I want, I'm going to buy it when you have the whole series. And that way they can read the whole thing at the same time. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, they won't buy this, the first until they know that there's a second or a third mm -hmm. or a fourth. Uh, and then they'll come back and buy the first two and then the third. And, you know, that, that way it's just, it's yeah. just the way people read and the way people consume. And so AI can both be a blessing and a curse. Well, yeah, I can, I, I can imagine I, I've, I've not written anything with AI other than maybe a, a social media post clip <laughs> for, you know, write, write a, a text for a social media post of a white boxer out in the snow, you know, kind of to put up on Instagram <laughs> or something. So I, I don't, uh, I don't fool with it much, but uh, um, I'm going to stop there because I told you we'd, we'd be about 30 minutes and, and I do appreciate your time. And I, I want you to tell folks where to find your book. I'll have it actually in the in the comments and the in the notes of the broadcast. But go ahead and, and share where folks can get your book. Sure. And first of all, thank you very much for letting me come on. This has been the fastest 30 minutes, I think, in recorded history. <laughs> this went by really quickly and I appreciate the opportunity. Oh, I'm really e easy to find. Uh, you know, jvhillier.com takes you to my mm -hmm. website. Dragon Moon Press is my publisher. You can find all my works there. And if you want to find me on social media or ask me a question, I try to get back to everybody within 24 hours. Uh, you, my handle on Instagram, TikTok, uh, I'm trying to think of what else is that? Uh, Instagram, TikTok, and um, if, if Facebook, Discord, wherever, Twitter is at JV Hilliard Books. Uh, so if you just at JV Hilliard Book me, you'll be able to direct message me or you can email me on my website uh, or just Joe at JV Hilliard dot com and and i'll try to respond to you uh no matter how crazy your question is or you know some people just want to beat you over the head with some stuff and, and tell you what they like and not, not like but i appreciate the opportunity to come on the show oh anytime and i hope to have you out back after your next book is 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 out there and published well thank you very much it's been a pleasure oh you're welcome so there you have it Post your comments, do all that boosting, liking, sharing, thumbs up, and stuff that helps spread the word and poke the algorithms. Follow me on most of the big social media platforms and look for my name, Robin Holstein, or Holstein House. Till next time, bye-bye.